I'm back with another episode of the Sergey Ross Show, and this time I'm talking to Andrew Lawrence, the co-founder of Voiceflow, the startup that's been, that's based in Toronto and is growing really fast. It looks extremely promising. We are talking about how Andrew went from being an iOS developer to co-founding a range of businesses to finally leading teams at Voiceflow. What does the landscape look like of voice-based applications today? And some of the hypothetical questions to uncover how Andrew thinks, the ones that I love. So without further ado, here's Andrew. All right, um, and I'm here with Andrew Lawrence, the co-founder of Voiceflow, the startup that helps people to design and build better human conversations. Andrew, great to have you here today. Thanks for having me. So. You moved from a developer to being a co-founder, and right now, Voiceflow is pretty well known. Tell us a little bit about the start. How did that all start? Yeah, it's pretty interesting. So actually, before I was a developer, I had another company as well. So it's not like I went straight uh, developer into you know a business role or anything like that. Um, so a couple years ago, actually while I was still in university, I had a company in the healthcare space. Um, did we did do like I did do software development there as well, um, but you know as a co-founder you're just kind of doing anything you yeah. can. Um, so anyway, uh, a couple of years pass um, and I meet my co-founders for Voiceflow, and uh, we meet at you know this entrepreneurship um, conference or like group called the Next Next Canada, uh, and for the next few months we basically just try to figure out what are we going to work on, right? Because it's they basically just take a bunch of people um, from across Canada. And then you have to figure out a company to work on. Um, so we just threw out any idea we could. I mean, for a while we were working on like, uh, like a human IPO where you can like IPO yourself and people could buy shares in you. Uh, for a while, cool. we, yeah. <laughs> for a while we were doing um, like a hiring platform, uh, just one of the million out there. <laughs> and we, I don't know, each one had like a core issue, uh, which made us like stop. So we moved on from that and had to figure out, like, what can we do that, you know, has a lot of potential. So we started looking at, you know, cool spaces. Um, and, you know, we looked at, like, augmented reality, virtual reality, uh, you know, blockchain. Uh, but the thing that we ended up sticking with was Alexa because, you know, we started looking into it. It wasn't, uh, there wasn't a huge barrier to entry to get into it, unlike, you know, some of these other things. Um, and it was growing really, really quickly. So, you know, just kicking around ideas for a while. We were thinking about doing like um, a shopping app for, uh, you know, Alexa and Google Home, but, you know, that had its issues too with Amazon and Google controlling that whole thing. So, anyway, we ended up finishing up, um, uh, or we ended up making a uh, children's storytelling app. Uh, so, essentially, uh, the kid would read along with the story, think yeah. like the three little pigs or anything like that. And uh, at a certain point, um, you know, the, the Alexa would say a part and then they would read a part. And uh, it, it was funny because uh, we would have, <laughs> we'd have users uh, sending us videos of their kids reading along and Alexa would just keep telling them they, they did it wrong over and over and over again. So we'd have parents saying, you're making my kid hate reading. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's these like three-year-old, four-year-old kids and they're just getting really frustrated because Alexa keeps saying they're reading it wrong. Um, so anyway, that uh, kind of had to end quick because we, it just wasn't working out. Could you adjust when that happens? Could you adjust the level of how, when how Alexa picks up the the imperfections, or was it just like one one way that it you, that it, you have to read? You definitely can if you uh, do some do some pretty advanced stuff. But we were just we we were just getting into it. I mean, we had spent 
probably a week with Alexa at the time, maybe two weeks. So we were just trying to, we were doing everything wrong there. Um, but we started, we thought like, what if we just made it like, we started giving them choices on like, you can go left or you can go right or you can go down, you know, the magical forest or whatever. Um, and kids love that. So we cut the reading part and it started being just um, choose your own adventure stories. So uh, you just get to the point in a story where you have to make a choice and that choice affects the story. And kids love that. So we did that from May through to uh, November and that did really well. It was the um, number one rated uh, Alexa app on, in Canada and it was number three in America. So yeah, things were going really well, um, but it still had issues uh, on, under the surface, right? Mm -hmm. So making stories was super expensive. I mean, we were making the stories ourselves. Right. Um, so that would mean we would write it and we would have to put it into the code and we'd have to get it voice acted uh, professionally. Yeah. So this so was we had super to do the voiceover, right? So we didn't do the voice acting. We got professionals to do it, um, which, which helped out a ton. And um, that made it super expensive. It would cost like $1,000 per story. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, that's clearly not sustainable at all. We were also making no money at all, so it's not sustainable at all. Um, but what we did have was uh, a lot of the coding was pretty tedious, so we had this internal tool to put these things out quicker, right? So we had this wacky idea of, like, what if we let the parents of these kids make the stories? And, um, you know, people tried, but what people really wanted to make was apps, not not stories, um, other than, you know, writers. But the ma vast majority of people just wanted to make apps. So we let them do that. And that was in November. And we figured there's probably more legs in this. Right. And, uh, yeah, ever since we made that switch, we... We just it's just been going since then. Yeah. So so you had a lot of attempts. It wasn't just like you found something and it worked. It yeah. was like many t many fails and many trials and error. Yeah. Um, I mean, even even with this group of uh, guys, we, we had a lot of failures. Um, we kind of we almost did like a pivot every week. In like it was like a, it was small pivots, ten percent pivots. Uh, the big pivots, you know, I, I kind of went through them. November was a huge one. Uh, when we did the Alexa stuff, that was a huge one. But even before that. I think what was great about our team is all four of us, we all had like projects and like companies that we started, like we tried in the past during school or whatever. And, um, you know, by the time we got to here, we, you kind of get the rookie mistakes out, but mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's still always rookie mistakes, but like the super rookie mistakes, we got them out before we even met each other. Yeah. So that was really helpful. And you guys did, um, you started with a storyline, right? When you were working on the children's story, you used like a storyline app, which at yeah. that time was a big thing, I believe. Yeah, so storyline, uh, this is a great story because storyline is exactly what VoiceFlow is today uh, for the most part. Um, we started off on them and once it got to the point where, you know, it just wasn't cutting it, we had to get off and, you know, build our own software. That's when we built our own, um, you know, internal tool. And for a while, it was it was looking kind of difficult. Like we didn't want to go exactly, you know, directly into their space, but it ended up happening. Um, they ended up shifting more towards professionals and cutting out the community altogether. And Storyline does uh, like to explain to the listeners what, like, in a in a in a simple terms, what was the Storyline's functionality? So Storyline let you make app, uh, apps on Amazon Alexa uh, without coding. So kind of kind of in the same vein as what we do now. Drag and drop. Drag much. and drop. Yeah. Um, so they ended up switching to just just um, professionals, and they cut their community altogether, which helped us out a ton because I mean their community just 
they just gravitated to us and we you know it's it's helped us out a ton since then um but over the months um i guess like things just uh things just started to decline and you know at a certain point we just they we just joined they joined us mm-hmm. yeah and you uh obviously improved on what they were doing right now with voice flow yeah so uh whereas you know all they did they focused primarily on just alexa we do both alexa and google without having to you know it's all on the same project um and whereas they were more of a no code tool so they were focused primarily on just you don't need to code this is uh apps for everybody it doesn't matter who you are we do that but we also uh a lot of our users are like professionals who um uses to design and prototype. So it's not it's it's more a professional tool than anything else, but it's just available to everyone. Kind of like how um kind of how like Photoshop is yeah. a professional tool, but you know, everybody uses it regardless of right. of of, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. It it like it's like you it could be a starter, but then you you could it could like it could go a lot further in terms of functionality. Yeah, exactly. We talked a little bit before the podcast. I love that story about the inbound and massive enterprise clients looking up you and then actually talking to you. And then you have a f- uh, the freemium product or the free product that they can actually try it. Talk about that, how Coke and other folks discovered you and then uh, ended up being clients. Yeah, so um, a lot of people are interested in how we get our enterprise clients and our business clients. Uh, but what's really neat is we have spent zero dollars on marketing and sales up until now. And uh, yet we have you know, several enterprises, a bunch of businesses, and a whole bunch of you know, professionals. Um, and I think the key, the key to that was we had this huge community that let us, uh, let us kind of become the de facto tool in the space. Um, and... The space is growing really quickly, so when people look, you know, how, how to get into this, they, they Google us, they Google or like how, how to find Alexa skills or how to make Alexa skills, and we're, we're the thing that comes up. You guys are on Product Hunt probably. Yeah, we were on Product Hunt, we had a big launch there. So there's a lot of exposure there, and a lot of that is because of our community. So eventually when professionals look, us, look up how to do this, we're the thing that comes up, and then it's, it's all been inbound. So somebody from, from Coke or other enterprise clients comes in and then they're registering for your free tool and they're able to use the functionality and, and get the value as an individual contributor, not necessarily as a company. And then they become like, hey, you've got to check this guys out. Yeah, what's really neat is the whole tool is free and we want it to be free so that everyone can A, experience voice, but B, also you know, learn the tool and see that it's easy, that you, you, know, you can make it too. Um, so what happens is, let's say uh, someone at CBC joins and they they make this project for themselves and then they start getting their team on and that's where we make money is like it's not on um charging individuals uh to use the tool but it's more so getting these big teams on on these enterprises now your co-founder brayden he's got a really good article on medium he's got several but one of them is really interesting he talks about how amazon is withholding some of the functionality that developers could use to build apps on Alexa intentionally to train their AI algorithm for, to later better compete with Google. Uh, could you talk more about that? Because I think that's fascinating. Because right now, Google's really untouchable with pretty much what they're doing. But then we are moving into the era of uh, the voice, which hopefully will be the same revolutionary touch. Yeah. And what is Amazon doing that could change what Google, Google, Google's dominance? Yeah, that's a very interesting topic that no one really sees, including we didn't see that for a long time. Essentially, when you speak to Alexa, it's just 
sorting out what you say into the intention of what you wanted. So, you know, if you say, um, you know, I want to buy a cat, there's an intention there. Uh, versus if you say, I want to buy a hamburger, there's a very different intention there, right? So you're going to be given, you're going to be sent to like a different service in most likelihood. Um, so while they while they do that, they're training their NLP models and their and their search, right? And NLP stands for, for uh, natural language uh, processing. Um, so there's natural language processing, natural language understanding. It's essentially just taking what humans say and making it so that a uh, computer can sort through it and make it so that you know it understands what you're saying. So um, yeah, Amazon's basically just training these models, and it's making it so that search is super easy, right, through them. Uh, it, what's crazy though is even even now, if you say someone's going to compete with Google in search, realistically, it's it's kind of tough to to imagine. But uh, I mean, voice search is predicted to be I think like forty percent of of all search by twenty twenty one or twenty twenty two, and Amazon is the biggest player there. So Google does have you know someone coming for their search throne, which is pretty crazy. Which is amazing. Yeah, that's what we want to see. Where does the um, like where would people, most people, like the majority of people would be using the voice in your opinion based on the landscape? How many, how few, how many years are we away from that? Um, so it depends on, it depends on what it is. I think what most people use voice for now is super quick queries about things. So basically if you want to know what the weather is, you could go to the weather channel or you could take out your phone or you could say, Alexa, where's the, what's the weather? And then you get information super quickly and that's it. Um, over time, it's going to become more and more natural. I mean, the ideal is you speak to Alexa as if it's a person or speak to Google as if it's a person or any voice assistant as if it's a person. It's, it's got a while to go until then, but what they're doing now is they're trying to slowly creep into all areas of your life. So I don't know if you saw, but they just put out like 15, Amazon just put out 15 products uh, at an event. Um, no, to, no, I have not. To, so yeah, some of them are like uh, rings, uh, some of them are like headsets. Some of them are like, uh, I mean, you've probably seen the microwave. They just want to be absolutely everywhere. So no matter where you are, you say Alexa or Hey Google, do this. I've seen the True Wireless, uh, True Wireless um, ear earphone, ear yeah. earpods. Yeah, 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 exactly. So uh, whereas like right now, Alexa is just something that's in your house or maybe in your bedroom, maybe in your kitchen, whatever. They want it to be everywhere, right? So uh, I think like what's happening now is they're trying to train people in how to, how this is going to help you out throughout throughout your daily life. Um, in the car is a huge use case yeah. because you know hands free, you can't be you can't be visually distracted. Um, they're they they're making a book, big push there with a whole bunch of car companies um, coming out with Alexa right, right through their you know. Brand new. I'm curious when you know everybody's using the smartphone right now and they are in the noisy environments. Like, how would that? How would those folks, Google or or Amazon, be able to increase adoption of people actually using the voice in a noisy environment to less to use their phone less to to decrease the touch input uh, with their phones? That that would be really. I feel like when when the symbol is going to take off. Do you have any ideas there? Yeah, Google is doing a big push on that, actually. Like, so Google has the benefit in that they have Android. So they're already in the consumer's house, uh, many consumer's houses. Amazon doesn't have that luxury. So uh, that's why there's such a big push on Alexa. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they actually get people uh, to 
who have you know learned how to use the touch interface to start using voice more and more. I think the key there is definitely uh, finding more use cases where it's more natural because right now you kind of have to bark command. You have to remember some commands and you just have to like say these commands. Very much so. Yeah, and it's not. It's just not a natural or good experience for anybody. Um, but as it becomes more natural, I think it'll it'll happen. An interesting thing there is. Um, so voice is not just Alexa and Google. Um, I'm not sure if you know what an IVR is, but it's you, you definitely have most people have definitely dealt with these. It's when you call like a bank or like whatever, and they oh, say the like, press one, yeah, press one to do this, press two to do this, press three to do that. Um, that is also very unnatural, and everyone I, I, I hate that. But what's happening is you kind of uh, you call into American Airlines, and instead of doing that, they go, hey, welcome to American Airlines. How can I help you? And they need to be able to um, handle anything you say, which is really difficult, right? Um, as we, well, that's where like voice design becomes such a such a, a big part of this, um, because designers have to deal with how like all the different cases of things you say, and I think as that becomes more, um, I guess, uh, adopted, as that becomes the adopted method of voice interface, uh, things are people are going to move more and more towards using voice over uh, over touch or you know keyboard and mouse when it's more uh, convenient. What I was surprised by is that. Two years ago, three years ago, I called Apple's store, and Apple was using the very much the same system. Like they would just listen to whatever you say, and they would process your request reasonably accurately. And I would probably argue that it was even better than Siri when it was just coming out on iOS six. So that was that was really interesting. Like how I guess it was because it still was looking at a limited number of commands or a limited number of keyboards for for the for the store. Yeah, um, it's I guess it's. Uh, there's there's a whole bunch of things here. I mean, Siri uh, is like Apple has this very big privacy focus, so I can see why Siri at the time, especially, was just not as good as this like well-designed IVR. I'd imagine they don't have the same privacy concerns, and they don't need to, you know, with with something that's like uh, that has all the data like these IVRs. Um, it's easier to train them to be, you know, better better understanding of you, and they probably had. Uh, yeah, a designer who could go go through all the the cases of which there's probably like I don't know. Let's pretend there's a thousand cases. You yeah. can design those thousand cases. But with Siri, there's it's it's infinite right. in scope, right? So yeah. How do you uh, deal with uh, figuring out what to do or not to do personally for you in your work? Let's say you have something coming up and um, you know you have to work on a product, but there's this really cool other thing that you've seen that you would really love to work for uh, work on. How do you make a call to are you going to shift or are you going to keep working on the most important thing? Like, how do you prioritize and make the trade-offs uh, in, in your work, like day-to-day? -day? Um, so is this as a team or as an uh, individual? As an individual. Luckily, um, we're super blessed in that uh, our team is so well-balanced. And there's typically, you know, people own certain things. And what, like, usually if there's, like, a product thing, uh, our product lead will deal with that. If there's, like, a sales thing, you know, our sales lead will deal with that. Tech stuff, our tech lead will deal with that. So it typically doesn't come up where it's, like, this wildly different thing than what I work on uh, is going to cut through my day-to-day -day work, and I'm going to drop everything and go do that. Although, you know, the, when there is, like, a new announcement, we'll come together as a group and we'll talk about it, uh, especially if it's, like, super impactful to the industry. But... Luckily, I, yeah, things like that don't come up all that well. I feel like we uh, divide things up quite well. Um, I want to ask the Peter Thiel's classic interview question. What, uh, what is the one thing that nobody agrees with you on? 
I think that, um, so I don't know where this kind of comes from, but like you, people in general just like rules. Rule, rules make it so that it's, you know, you don't need to think that much, right? Uh, process is great because you don't need to think that much. It lets you control a bunch of teams. But uh, I find that more often than not, you, should, you can uh, break process or you could break rules and it ends up benefiting you a lot more. So um, people, for example, st seem to struggle with, um, you know, we've always done it this way. Why should we do it this other way? And a lot of the time it's just like, hey, we're just going to try it, right? Um, so I'm not necessarily talking about startups. I'm just talking about just work in general or right. like anything in general. And um, I th I'm a big believer in like follow process and rules up to a certain point. But you should be at, at every point of the way, you should be able to like break the rule because that's that's typically where, you know, things get done quicker, that's where innovation happens, that's where exciting things happen. Because if you follow the rules and yeah. everybody follows the rules, then you're going to be just like everybody else. Yeah, exactly. And you're going to move at the same speed as everybody else, you're going to think the same way. And a lot of the time, the best things are just from like doing something stupid. Because a lot of the time, things will look stupid on the surface, but and no one will understand the, the thought process there, but it ends up working out. And typically, uh, the you're, you just need to weigh out um, potential upside and potential downside. Typically, potential downside in anything in, in, a, in a first world country is is not that low, right? You're, you're typically going to be okay, no matter what you do, as long as it's not like hurting somebody. <laughs> That's a big, like this is a very, uh, very much the growth mindset, or you could call the, the somebody who's indispensable thinks this way, where they, they definitely approach it in, in a having a more risk tolerance willing to, to break the rules and, tr and try something else and it's interesting because in the in school and at university everybody's taught to fit in everybody's yeah. taught to do follow the rules take notes yeah. uh, how did you develop that type of mentality yeah i think uh yeah it's key uh just the people i surrounded myself with it was definitely a bunch of people who would you know, always be trying different things. I definitely got into, I definitely met a lot of entrepreneurs early on. Um, so, you know, maybe we'd be entrepreneurs and we'd be working on something that wasn't all that great. But the, that's where that's where the mentality kind of starts, right? Um, and yeah, I think uh, especially during school, you'd find a lot of people who maybe would like, I don't know, focus on school and get good grades, but like it would amount to really nothing, right? It's it's such a classic thing where I don't know, someone will focus on, fault, you know, get good grades, whatever, try to get in med school or something, and they won't. And you, you it's don't like, do school again. You don't get to do school outside of school. Yeah, that's exactly. The, that's the exactly. You, you know what? That brings up a good point. I think um, school was definitely one of the better things I did which is funny from an entrepreneur because everyone hates on <laughs> schooling but it's not because of any of the things I learned in class it was definitely because of the the learning outside of school like the the people the relationships right um that definitely like changed my personality um the way I think about things and yeah are you working towards a certain goal certain vision for you personally or is it more about I want to solve this big problem I think in general um I definitely want to just build something impactful. Uh, that's always been that's always been like the underlying motivation there, uh, because you know the more you impact, the more you help everybody. Um, and I don't think there's many things that can impact so many people so quickly um, as entrepreneurship. Um, there's probably 
if you want to impact people, like many people, there's probably only like politics, um, entrepreneurship, um, I guess philanthropy. Um, and I think, I think entrepreneurship is like the fastest way to do something big. Um, yeah. You have to try many times. Yeah, though. yeah, yeah. <laughs> is there any advice that you hear that is given to the CEOs, that is given to the co-founders, that is bullshit? A lot of it is quite bad because so, I, what I find is everyone loves to give advice, um, but there's definitely a difference between people who have done what you're trying to do recently uh, versus people who have done it a long time ago. But what's even worse is people who have never done it and they're kind of around it, but they, you know, they, they don't do it themselves. Um, probably worst of all is anything regarding, you know, trying to make a, a business plan or anything like that, any kind of like formal business, anything you learn in business school, all of that is, is bad. <laughs> Don't do any of that. <laughs> what should somebody be doing in that, like in that case, you know, like skip the business plan. Uh, what do you do? Like you build an MVP or you like build something, drag and drop online and then just bring it to like a few, two, three people, see if it works. Yeah, exactly. The key is totally just your customers, whoever it is. Even if you're not charging them anything, whoever your your customers will just guide you. If you talk to a thousand of your customers and you just every day you come back to a thousand people and you just keep taking their feedback, eventually you'll land up with, land with something. Um, it, it'll be it might not be the most valuable thing in the world, but it'll be something that they want. And then from there you can readjust. Hey, maybe maybe I should speak to these other people. <laughs> maybe maybe this is not the right way to go. Um, and yeah, totally like just putting something out there really quickly, um, trying to iterate as quick as possible is definitely super key. What is the most worthwhile investment that you have made in your life so far? It could be anything in business. It could be anything outside on a personal side. I guess the easy answer is the time and money spent on starting the company, but that's that's probably a cop out answer. <laughs> I think um, uh, I've always been really big on relationships. So, um, for example, like in school, um, typically you think school is for whatever you're supposed to be doing in school. But <laughs> the most important thing I did there was cultivate relationships because that's the that's what changed my mentality, right? That's what uh, being around the right people definitely changed the course of where I went with career, personal life. Um, it's the same thing even after school, like in entrepreneurship right now. Uh, it's it's totally like the people that I'm around um, and the time I spend with, you know, cultivating those relationships is definitely the, the best use of my time a lot of the time. Are you, do you have any like special morning, evening routines, any like exercise in meditation, any things that you do to to jump, do you have like a jump on a day? So I started doing, uh, I started reading at nighttime. Uh, this is, it's, reading's been tough over the past year just because there's just been so many things going on. Um, I'm a big podcast person, I like podcasts. Uh, exercise is uh, definitely <laughs> not what it used to be, but uh, I'll try, I'll try, I'll try. <laughs> What was the habit or a belief that in the last couple of years impacted you the most? I guess the belief that if we just, <laughs> it's kind of funny, but if you just keep, keep trying, like uh, keep trying, things will work out as even, even when things don't seem like they're going to work out, just blind optimism. Uh, I guess that's not in the past couple of years. I've just kind of always had that. But uh, for example, over the past year, there's a lot of times where we were just doing the wrong thing. But um, we'd come in uh, every single day and just try and just keep trying and trying and trying. And 
it, we weren't always doing the right thing, but what was key was every every step along the way we were questioning whether this is the right thing to do. Actually, you know what? This is better. Questioning whether you're doing the right thing is definitely the most key thing. Um, so just just usually typically you are kind of going on like a certain path, and if you get to the point where uh, you're like, hey, am I doing the right thing? And you're saying yes, then you just keep going. But a lot of the time, it's like, you know deep down you're not doing, this is not the most valuable thing, or you know, this is gonna end up nowhere. And that's when you have to do the hard, the hard decision to be like, hey, let's change something. Um, so yeah, questioning every step of the way definitely was helpful. Do you, I mean, obviously you look at the data, you talk to your friends, you talk to your coworkers. Do you listen to like an inner voice that, or like do you, you go by the gut feeling that tells you, oh, actually it doesn't feel quite right? I'm a big fan of uh, laying out everything, even if it's just in my head, and just looking at all the different options, looking at the scenario, and seeing, just trying to figure out all the different paths, trying to figure out what set of steps is going to get me to the best path. So a lot of the time, you know, you can do that on your own, but running things by people who are smart and trustworthy is always going to be helpful. You mentioned books. Are you like... Like what's what are some of the books that uh, were the most impactful uh, in the business world or outside? Um, Zero to one, that was a great book. I love that one. One of my a lot. favorites. Yeah, yeah, that's a great one. It's a classic startup one. Um, I'm reading Elon Musk's book right now. Uh, there's not like a whole lot of. That's not one of those ones where you walk away with a lot of lessons, but it's cool to see. It's cool to see that journey, um, right? Because he started off. It actually took him a long time to get going with uh, his first one, Zip2, because um, he went through he went through university for like five six years, and then he did his masters for like a day, and then uh, like Zip2 was just it took four years to you know from start to finish there. Uh, but what's crazy is all the stuff that he ended up doing right after that, uh, like right away. It takes time though, but like uh, I love the book. Yeah. Uh, one of the coolest parts I find there was when he was uh, working with Peter, with Peter Thiel and he was uh, co coding day and night, like the folks who came after, who were the engineers and looked at the code, they said it was all wrong, yeah. but it was still working. What's funny, uh, what I find funny about all that is uh, he's, Elon Musk is held up to such a, like a godlike status now. It's almost like he could do no wrong. But when you read the book, it seemed like everyone at uh, PayPal just hated him, and it seemed like he uh, they thought he was an idiot, and Peter Thiel was the smart one, which uh, it's it's kind of funny because uh, I don't know, especially uh, in startups, you always wonder, hey, am I doing the best job at this? Um, so it's it's great to see that even Elon Musk, everyone thought he was an idiot at one point. <laughs> yeah, there was um, there was also you know like everybody read probably Steve Jobs biographies, uh, Walter Isaacson's, or there was a Car Carmine. Uh, Carmen's book, but there was another one I forgot who wrote it about Steve Jobs, and it actually showed it purely was focused on the progression of Steve Jobs as a person and his mistakes, not necessarily the stories, because people like the stories. But you want to see like how did he build up the skill set that allowed him from 1998 to walk in into the company that was 90 days from from failure and make a set of decisions that that led to this phenomenal growth. It wasn't the luck; it was a certain like path. And that book explains it so well, and it was amazing to me because it was like written in the '90s, and like nobody even heard of it. Where's everybody, Andrew? Can find you online? Pretty much just uh, just LinkedIn. I guess I have a yeah, pretty much just LinkedIn. <laughs> you're you're not a big online. No, person. no, I'm not a no, I'm not a big social media person. What impact would you like to make with the work you're doing right now with VoiceFlow and 
the future projects that will come up? I think we have a pretty unique opportunity here. Uh, it's not every day that you can have a startup that is like leading in the space. So I think we have a pretty cool opportunity to uh, not just be the leader in space, but kind of define where the industry goes. So I think at the end of it all, uh, I'd be happy if you know we look back and we see that we see that created a hugely impactful company, um, not just in size of company, but also the whole industry was shaped by us. Just like how something like PayPal shaped all of e-commerce, or just like how um, you know Amazon shaped <laughs> you know computing, uh, e-commerce, yeah. Um, Andrew, it's been a pleasure to have you here on the show. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot for having me. If you guys enjoyed this episode, I would really appreciate your feedback and your comments because that means a lot to me to keep doing this and having cool guests on my show. If you have a minute, I would appreciate if you go on Apple Podcasts and leave a quick review and leave your feedback or drop me a note or an email or a LinkedIn and tell me who you would like me to interview next on the show and some of the questions you want to ask. That would be very cool. Otherwise, I will see you in the next one, guys.